Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Hey, for you, if you have a need in your life, now would be a great time to pray as we're here in the presence of the Lord. If you've got a need in your life, would you lift your hands right across this place as we pray? Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done in our life. Jesus, if there's any grievous way in us, Lord, would you lead us back to everlasting life? Jesus, we thank you for life. We thank you for a roof over our heads. We thank you that we live in a country where we can worship you freely this morning. Jesus, we come to you with our needs. Lord, we come to you with the things that we are praying for, our requests. We thank you that the Bible says that you're a good father and that you know how to give good gifts. So Jesus, we present these requests to you. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done and you would have your way in every circumstance, in every situation, in every relationship. Jesus, in our finances, Jesus, in our marriages, Jesus, as we parent kids, Jesus, as we go to study, Jesus, as we go to work on Monday, Lord, would you have your way in our life, in every circumstance and situation. And everyone who believed it said, amen and amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand one last time? Hey, you may be seated. Grab a seat this morning. Thank you, band. Hey, what a great time in worship this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Mason. I'm one of the, uh, on the team here. It's good to see all of you looking good. Great. Yep, I'm just checking. Everyone looks good. That's, that's tick number one. Good job, church. Um, we're going to, I really felt burden on my heart this morning to talk about prayer. To talk about prayer. I really felt God put a, uh, at the start of the year, put a burden on my heart for prayer and intentional prayer. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning. If you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard a thousand messages on prayer. Can I just encourage you this morning that there's always more in Jesus. For the more, the closer we get to God, the more facets we see of His goodness and who He is. And we are never done until we meet Him in glory one day. Is that cool? All right, Matthew chapter 6, if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5 onwards. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That was a message from my phone, sorry. They love to pray. It was actually from Ruth, so Ruth's on her phone texting me. <laughs> for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, uh, for they love to be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, or some translations say as the pagans do, for they think that they will be heard with their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Do you know there are 338 references and mentions to prayer in the Bible? In the Old Testament alone, there are 85 original prayers. That's excluding, um, you know, references and commands to pray. That's simply 85 times someone has prayed and it's been written and recorded and put in the Bible. Now, that's not even including 60 whole Psalms that are in fact written prayers and then 14 other portions of other Psalms that are prayers as well. If you're an accountant, you probably did the maths really quick in your head. That's around about 159 times in the Old Testament we see written recorded prayers. In the New Testament, if we take just Paul's writing alone, Paul mentions and references prayer 41 times. If we look at the life of Jesus and the three-year snapshot we have of him throughout the Gospels, we will see that Jesus prays a copious amount of time. He spends a lot of time in prayer. In in Mark chapter 1, just to name a few, we see him go to pray by himself. In Luke chapter 3, we see the Holy Spirit descend upon him while he is in prayer. In Luke chapter 5, we see that often crowds would be drawn to him, but Jesus would actually withdraw to lonely places places to pray. In Luke chapter 9, he is transfigured while he is in prayer and meets with heaven. In Matthew chapter 14, we see him go into the mountaintops and pray all night. In John 17, we see him pray with his disciples. And here in Matthew chapter 6, after a time of prayer, we begin to see him teach his disciples and the others that would gather there that day how to pray. How to pray. All that to say this, although, thanks Carter for saying, go go, dad. Um, all that to say that Even though prayer in and of itself is not natural but supernatural, prayer to the Christian should be the most natural thing on the planet. As a fish is to water, so should a Christian be to prayer. For our salvation, our reconciliation with God, our Creator, our justification from our sins and our sins, and our sanctification, which is our partnered work with the Spirit of God to become all who God has called us to be, is not actually based on our works but is based on a dependency on a God and His grace who offers these things as a gift through what Christ has done on the cross to all who believe. That's a really theological way to say this. You cannot earn your salvation. That comes through a dependency on a God who paid for it. Dependency can be interchanged with trust or faith, but that dependency on God, that trust on God, that faith in God is actually dead without action. For it is one thing to say that we depend on God with our whole life. It is another thing entirely to live as if that were true. There are two ways you can stub your toe. Way number one, Al. That really hurt my toe. Way number two. Ah! That hurt my toe really bad. End scene. 
Have you ever seen a, a, a TV sitcom? That's like asking if the Pope is Catholic. Of course you have. Everyone's seen TV sitcoms before. You know, like Friends, Seinfeld, MASH, Big Bang Theory, Everybody Loves Raymond. Now I'm just listing TV shows. I'll stop. Everybody's seen those TV shows. There's a certain type of acting that's required for a TV sitcom. A TV sitcom has exaggerated acting. A TV sitcom, if on the script it said, stub your toe, a TV sitcom actor would do the latter of what I just did. For in a TV sitcom, you do not have to guess what the character is thinking or feeling in any given moment because it's written all over their facial expressions and it's written in their exaggerated actions. What I'm trying to say is this, there is no disconnect between how the character is supposed to feel and what the character is thinking and what the character is actually acting. I believe that if you went home, you could turn on Friends this afternoon and I believe that everybody in this room would be smart enough to put it on mute and just watch and be able to to tell how a character is acting or thinking or feeling about the situation they're in, even when there's no words. Why? Because their actions tell us so. There is no disconnect between what they think and how they feel and the way that they act. The same cannot always be said for the Christian. For we can say that we have a dependency on God But in a matter of fact, our actions don't always line up that way. And so if we're a Christian in this place, then at the core of our faith is dependency, faith, and trust trust in God. Then the question should beg for all of us here today, what does dependency on God look like in action? What does it look like? For we know what it sounds like. Sounds like my life's dependent on God. But what does that actually look like? Well, if we look at the life of Jesus, who is, by the way, our perfect example of what it looks like to be dependent on God the Father, I don't think that it's necessarily found, when we look at his life, I don't think it's necessarily found in the miracles that he performed. And I don't even necessarily think that it's found in his public teachings or the wisdom that he gave to his disciples and others, and I don't even necessarily think that it's found in his death, but I do think that it's found in the prayers that preceded every single one of those moments and the prayers that concluded every single one of those moments. For every time Jesus entered a situation, it was like he stepped in saying, God, I need you, and stepped out saying, God, I need you even more. For what is dependency on God? Well, that could be a really long question to unpack, but at the very least, it looks like prayer. For prayer says, God, I need you. Every day that a Christian does not pray, you make the reverse statement probably in your actions. God, I don't have need for you today. Do you know an atheist believes that there is no God? Therefore, they make the statement, I have no need for God. I believe, and this may be strong, but I believe every day a Christian goes without prayer makes the same statement. God, I have no need for you today. Because prayer is, God, I need you in every moment. And God, I need you in every moment 
afterwards. What is prayer? Prayer is engaging and communing with God. For He is our help. For He is our shield. For He is the author of our salvation. He is the finisher of our faith. For He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who puts breath into our body. What is prayer? To commune and engage with Him. That is what prayer is. Prayer is the intentional engaging and communing with God. For that's what dependency on God looks like. So then there is another question that if we're Christians, we should ask ourselves, which is this question, how do we pray? How do we engage and commune with God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus taught it in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 6. He taught us how to pray. Is there a wrong way to pray? Yes. If there wasn't a wrong way to pray, Jesus would have said, well, guys, concerning prayer, any prayer is a good prayer, so go nuts. But much to our charismatic, spiritual, Pentecostal belief, the detriment of those beliefs sometimes, Jesus did not say that. Is there a wrong way to pray? Yes. But not necessarily in word or action or clothes you wear or place you are or direction that you stand or in eloquence or even in request, but in motive. In motive. Jesus, at the start of Matthew chapter 6, he addresses two motives that are wrong to pray. Wrong to pray. The first motive, he says, if you pray to impress man, that is wrong. For if you are praying to look spiritually in front of other Christians or friends and to say, look at me and look at my spirituality, that is wrong. And based upon that principle, We can look at any spiritual religious practice that we do, and if it is done to impress man, then it is just selfish, empty religion. And the Bible says that you will get paid your reward in full by impressing man. What a um, low reward to impress man. The same is true for any spiritual thing that we embark on. If it is to impress man, it is simply selfish, empty religion. For if you read your Bible to impress someone or to look like you've got it all together, it is empty religion. If you desire leadership or service in the church and you serve in the church to say, look at me, look at me making these coffees, look at me greeting people at the door, look at me coming to the prayer meeting at 9.30 to impress other people, then it is just empty religion. If you pray to impress people, it is the same thing. The second motive Jesus addresses in here is the motive that when you bring your prayers and requests to God and your will and your desires to God, that somehow you are trying to bend God to your will and your desire. For the pagans would heap up their many phrases and meditations in an attempt to bend the arm of the gods into their will. 
For Jesus says, if you pray and think that you are going to say all the right things and do all the right things, and somehow that is going to bend me to your will, then that is wrong. For the Bible says that we should present our requests to God with supplica- with uh, petition, with prayer and petition, we should present our requests to God. But there is a a difference between presenting requests to God and then requests being submitted to God and presenting your requests to God and thinking that God is in submission to those requests. There's a difference. For He is not in submission to any of our desires or any of our wants. For He is God. He is called love twice in the Bible. And so he is love because what God is, he is fully. But he's referred to as holy over 300 times in the Bible. So he is love and he does love you, but he is also holy. He's also holy. Two motives that Jesus says are wrong to pray. Then Jesus gives us two quick fixes to those motives and then he gives us the answer. The quick fixes are this. If you're praying to impress man, pray in private. That makes sense. If no one's around, you can't impress anyone. Same goes with giving. Same goes with all this stuff. If, if, you, if your hard attitude is, I'm doing this to impress someone, then whatever you're doing, do it in private. Easy. The second one is, if you're praying to somehow bend God's arm to your will and your desires, then know that he knows what you need before you even know what you need and ask for it. And so when we understand that God is a good father who gives good gifts, we can come to him with our uh, requests and we can understand that, you know what? He actually knows me more than I know myself and he knows what I need more than I know what I need in every moment. So I could probably just trust him if he's a good God and he is who he says he is and he knows what I need before I even ask for it. I could probably just trust him with my requests. For often I think we read the verse that says, you know, if, if a good father, if their son asked for a, a fish, he wouldn't give him a snake. The problem with Christianity is I think sometimes we are praying for snakes thinking they're fish. Or praying for stones thinking they're bread. And then when you break your teeth, you blame God. The quick fix to that is he is who he said he is. He knows what you need before you even ask. So present your requests to God, but then have them in submission to him. God, I know that you know what I need in every moment. Then Jesus gives us the answer. He says, well, this is how you should pray. Pray like this. Now, he says like this. He doesn't say pray this. The Lord's Prayer was never meant to be a prayer that was just repetitive and we just repeat at bedtime all the time. But the Lord's Prayer is actually a template, an example, principles for us to bring into our prayer life in order to commune and engage with God the way that Jesus taught us to commune and engage with God. So it's not supposed to be like, I'll just pray this every night and I'm good. It's just supposed to take the principles from what Jesus said and apply it to your prayer life so that you can pray the way God teaches us to pray. Does that make sense? If we look at the Lord's Prayer up here, 
on the screen. It starts like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are three principles, I think, even just from the start of this prayer, right? The first one is this. He calls God our Father. He calls him Father. In the Old Testament, God was known as the father of the Israelite nation, but he, it wasn't until Jesus, Jesus was like kind of the first guy who started calling father is in a personal father, which means this, when you come to God in prayer, you come to him as a son and a daughter. It means this, that God is not far off and distant from you. He is not a distant God, but he is close to you. He, you should come to him through relationship. Everything that we do in our Christianity should be viewed through the lens of relationship. If we don't view it through the lens of relationship, again, it becomes empty religion. For he starts the prayer, our Father, which is to say you enter the courts of God, not as a stranger, but as a son and a daughter of God. And so when we commune to God, we're communing with him in relationship with him. For anything else is empty religion. For we do not read the Bible to fulfill a religious duty. We read the Bible to know who our God is more. We do not pray to tick off a box. We pray to commune and engage with the God that created us. Everything that we do should be viewed through relationship and prayer is no different. Then he says, hallowed be your name. To hallowed something means to put God at the highest place. He is at the highest place in my life, which is an understanding of this. When we come to God in prayer, we need to understand who he is. For he should be seated at the highest place in our life. And saying that when we come and commune to God, God, you are worthy to be praised. You are good. You deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. If nothing else reminds us who he is. It gives us faith that if God is who he says he is, what can mere mortals do to me? To seat him at the right place. Then, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is is about submission, submitting yourself to God's will. For if God knows what you need more than you know what you need, then we come to God with a submissive attitude that says, God, you are holy and I am submitted to your will. Let your will be done in every circumstance, every situation, every relationship in my life, Lord. Let it be your will that is done. We go on. Give us this day our daily bread. That means you can ask God for your daily needs, no matter what they are. He wants to hear from you. God, I need peace today. God, I need help with my finances. God, I need strength to get through this Monday. God, I need strength to get through the Melbourne traffic. Like, honestly, some people need to move and see what God can do with their life. (laughs) Like, we ask God for things. We can ask. You know, there's a story in the Bible, they bring a blind blind man to Jesus, and Jesus says, like, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? It's like, of course he wants to be healed. Jesus knew that he wanted to be healed. But Jesus still asked him, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? says to me this, that it's important to ask. God wants us to ask as sons and daughters. It doesn't have to be too big. You don't have to have these massive prayers. It's your daily needs. Whatever you need, we should be, our dependency on God starts with God. Give me the strength to get up and bath my kids and clothe them without them running off before work. 
ask for your daily needs. Then, oh, it's gone. Three, two, one, and it's back. There we go. Um, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This is talking about repentance. Repentance, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It means change your thinking. It's coming to God and saying, God, if there's any grievous way in me, change my thinking. Renew my mind, Lord. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm, Lord, would you help me to partner with the Spirit of God to be all you have called me to be? And then it says to forgive those who have caused us offense. And actually, I think that should be a daily thing, as prayer should be a daily thing for the Christian. For you are called to love people, reach people, tell people about the love of Jesus. You will do... Do not do that well if you are harboring bitterness and offense in your heart. So Jesus is saying, hey, it's important to come to God and ask for forgiveness, but don't forget that it's important to let things go. In the famous words of Elsa, let it go. (laughs) Someone offends you tomorrow, let it go. For it is not worth, your calling is too great. It is not worth you harboring and festering bitterness because that comes out in everything that you do. For you should... Let it go and be free like Elsa. You know why? Otherwise it outplays itself in gossip and slander and you keep going and going and stewing on it. God says, let it go for I've called you for more. Let it go for I've called you for more. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations say the devil or evil one or that kind of thing. Now there's two points to this. If you believe that God is who he says he is, and we believe in his word, that's my iPad, not a Bible, but you know, you get the, the analogy. If, you, if we believe in his word, and he is who he says he is, then we believe that there are spiritual forces or personalities, we would call it normally the enemy or the devil or Satan or uh, something like that. We actually believe that there are spiritual forces and personalities that are against God which means they scheme and scheme to be against God's kingdom, which you are, if you're a Christian, a part of. And so Jesus finds it important enough to say, and we don't get this in the Western world because our world's so natural. You go into other parts of the world and it, it's, it's different, but because we see in our context through such a natural eyes, it's hard to sometimes fathom this, but it is as true as it is that Jesus died on your cross, that there are spiritual forces and personalities that are against us as the church. And so God puts it, Jesus puts it important enough to to pray that you would be delivered from those things. Cool? But not everything's a devil. If you don't get a car park at Westfield, that's not the devil. That's because you decided to go to Westfield with everybody else on a Saturday. If God does not provide you with a park, that's not his fault. Not everything's the devil. You know, for some reason the microphone hasn't turned on heaps when Ruth's up here. That's not the devil. That's the sound guy. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I love you. It's not the devil. So hear me that we get crazy about this stuff sometimes and you can go and next thing you know you'll be standing on the roof casting down devils. Not everything is the devil. There's threefold. Some things are just natural. Like a car park at Westfield on a, on a Saturday, you should just know better. Don't go on a Saturday, right? That's not the devil. And also, it says, deliver us from our flesh. Or pray that we don't fall into temptation. 
which means we have a flesh that the Bible says is contrary to the Spirit of God. So sometimes it's not the devil, it's just our own fleshly desires. And so Jesus says that it's important to pray against our flesh in a way that we would not fulfill the desires of our flesh that are contrary to the desires of the Spirit, but we would walk in the Spirit and all that comes, and all that, that, that comes with. <laughs> Does that make sense? Hopefully. That's how you pray. A snapshot of how Jesus taught us to pray. Now, you have to understand, we're not to pray this. These are the principles of how to engage God in prayer. What are the principles? Well, I'll tell you. The principles are this. Acknowledge that he is holy and seated on high in your life. Acknowledge that his will should be done in your life. Ask God for things. Ask him for what you need. Ask him for forgiveness and ask him to help you to forgive. Ask him to resist your flesh and ask him to be delivered from the evil one. I got taught an acronym years ago and it changed the way that I communed with God because it brought the principles that Jesus teaches in the, in the, um, the Lord's Prayer and brought it into a really practical way that I could remember. Now, the acronym as well is not supposed to just be followed out of some religious thing. The idea is that prayer is supposed to become natural. And so as we focus on the principles of how God has called us to pray, eventually it'll become habitual and second nature to you to engage with God. But the acronym that I got taught was ACTS, like the book of ACTS, A-C-T-S. The first A is adoration. To actually come to God, and when you come to God, praise Him and hallowed Him and put Him where He is supposed to be in your life. Remind yourself of who He is when you come to Him in prayer. The next one is confession, A-C, confession. Come to God with a repentant heart. God, I need you. God, deliver me from evil. God, deliver me from temptations. Come to God with a repented heart. T, thank God. Thank him that you've got a roof over your head. Thank him for your family. Thank him for food in your belly. Thank him for things. And then S, supplication, ask, ask, ask. Can I show you what the principles of God do to your prayer life? Say something happens to you and you're really angry at God. God, you should have done this. God, why didn't this happen? Why didn't it play out like I should have played it? Blah, 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 blah. And we can come to God and say, God, why didn't you do this? Can I say it's a very, be cautious of the line you walk if you start saying, God, you should have done this for me. God, why did you, so if I'm upset, but I come to God the way that Jesus teaches us to come to God in prayer, and I'm really, really upset, but then I come to God and I say, God, you are holy above everything else. You are mighty above everything else. You are seated at the authority of my life. Jesus, I only want to please you and serve you. And God, forgive me for what I have done wrong in the circumstances and help me to forgive other people for what they have done. Help me to let that go. And God, I guess I thank you that I have a family and I have food and I have a house and I have more than what I need. And then when you get to the point of actually asking God for what you want, it has changed your perspective. For prayer and time with God should always change your perspective to align more with His. For instantly you go, God, I need help. 
Instead of, God, why did this happen to me? You come to God and say, God, I need help. For that is dependency on God. A-C-T-S. Adoration places him in the authority of your life. Confession submits yourself to that if to that authority. Thankfulness brings the presence of God because he's seated in the praises of his people, brings the presence of God. And then when we bring our request to God, he is there seated in our life. We're submitted to him and his presence is there when we say, God, we just, I need your help. For that is how Christ has taught us to approach and engage with God. The band can come back up because I'm almost done. I just want to say two last things about prayer. And then we're done. Although prayer should become natural to us, it is not natural. It's supernatural. For every move of God in history has been preceded with prayer. For when people align themselves with the heart of God and are obedient to the heart of God, really nothing is impossible. The revivals of the past were not planned, strategized, thoroughly thought through events. Normally, if you read about them, they were quite chaotic. They were not planned and strategized. They were birthed and labored in prayer. That from hearts that came to God with the right motive to just simply say, God, we need a move in our city. God, we need a move in our church. God, I need a move in my life. Every move of God has been preceded with prayer. There were two women in China in the 1800s. They got saved and then the next week, They went to their pastors and leaders and said, we need to do something. God's put us on on our heart. We need to do something. We need to do something. So the pastor says, go. Didn't think much of it. Just said, go. Go to this province over here. Millions of people. But he just thought, oh, well, they're not trained. I'll just send them. This account's written in a Canadian pastor's journal. He comes two years later and these girls are at this conference he's, he's speaking at and Pastor says, these two girls, they have gone, I think they're doing something little out there. They're planning a church. They're not trained, just so you know. And Pastor made it very clear that these, these girls aren't trained. So, but you can talk to them if you want. He goes, okay, what have you guys been doing? Well, we felt God plant, uh, call on our hearts to plant churches. Okay, cool. How many churches have you planted? Oh, not very many, Pastor. Not very many. Just tell me how many. It's okay. Not very many, Pastor. How many? 30 in two years. The Canadian pastor writes in his journal, I could only dream of planting 30 churches in my lifetime. He said, what's the, how many people you got at the church? I said, oh, not, not many, Pastor, not many. Well, how many? Just tell me, 250. 250 across the 30 churches. Okay. No, 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 no. No, just 250. That, that's our smallest church. I thought you said there was not many. No, no, that's our smallest church. What's the biggest church? Uh, I think now over 5,000. But not many, Pastor, not many. Canadian pastor writes when he asked the two girls, How? 
You know, our Western world wants to strategize, plan. He's probably thinking in his head, I'm going to go back to Canada and I'm going to do exactly what these girls did. They're going to tell me how to reach people for Jesus. You know, he writes in his journal, I asked them how. They simply said this, we prayed, full stop. For you may be trying to strategize how to get your marriage back together or how to get your kids and just, you know, hoping that that all pans out at this point. And you may be trying to strategize and work out how to move your business forward or how to reach your friends or your family for Jesus. Who can do all that? That's fine. Or you could just pray. For if you need a move of God, every move of God has been preceded with prayer. Also in the 1800s, at the same time that this was happening in China, over in America, there was five guys who decided every night that they were going to pray in a barn. They call them the Haystack Five. They've come, been come to known as the Haystack Five. They began to pray, and every night the prayer meeting became to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now, because five guys decided to pray, many scholars believe that that's where the the American mission in work into Asia started from, and they can trace back missionaries, Bible teachers, hospital builders, school developers from all over the world and movements from all over the world back to this barn and the prayer meeting that happened in the barn. For they had lasting impact in our world, and it started with five guys saying, Let's pray. Jeremiah, a guy in 1857 was moved to pray, and within a month, a thousand people joined him. Within two years, he's credited with two million people coming to know Christ in the US and the UK, and it started and just grew from a simple prayer meeting of him saying, I want to pray. There's a guy that, through my youth years and still draw great uh, inspiration from, his name's Jonathan Edwards. As a 17-year-old, he laid in the dirt in his field, covered himself with dirt and said, God, I am as low as dirt compared to you. But God, I don't want to move until you speak to me. He records that he laid there for hours, that God spoke to him. And he started a mission to the teenagers of New York. And every day they began to see 30 people come to know Jesus, 30 teenagers come to know Jesus every day. He literally, Jonathan Edwards literally changed the world with his theological studies and books. And he saw thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus at the same time. But it started from him laying in a paddock and saying, God, I want to hear from you. And so you might be saying today, well, Mace, I'm not praying for all this. I'm just praying that I don't slap my boss tomorrow morning. I'm praying for the strength and the peace to get through my week. Mace, I'm not necessarily praying for a huge revival. I just need to get past the mountains that are in front of me. Well, pray. For prayer is the most productive thing that you can do. I know we don't believe that necessarily in the world that we live in today and leadership books would probably tell you different, but prayer is the most productive thing that you can do. You need to move in your business, prayer is the most productive thing that you can do. You need to move in your marriage, prayer is the most productive thing that you can do. You need help with your kids, prayer is the most productive thing that you can do. You need help with restoring relationships, prayer is the most productive thing that you can do. You need help with the mountains that are in front of 
of you, well, prayer helps you get your eyes off the mountains and back onto the mountain mover where they should be. Prayer changes your perspective, shifts things in the supernatural and gives you the strength, peace and empowerment to achieve all that God has called you to do for that's what it means to be dependent on God. If you need a move of God in your life, pray. If you want to see a move of God in the city, then pray. If we want to see people come to know Jesus in our church, then we need to pray. You might say, well, I like the church how it is because then I can just be comfortable. Well, guess what? We need an urgency about seeing people come to know Jesus. For the time is now. You are born for such a time as this. For if you have breath in your body, then God has a plan for you today. If God did not have a plan for you, there would be no breath in your body. You're done. Enjoy glory. But if there is breath in your lungs today, God has called you and beckoned you. You say, I don't know what to do. Pray. 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 We need to get an urgency about what we believe. Our actions need to line up. If we're dependent on God and we truly believe that He is the answer, that means there's thousands of people in our community going to hell. You do not bring anything with you. You do not bring money. You do not bring clothes. You do not bring anything. The only thing we can bring with us is people. So pray. How are we going to do it? I have no idea. Pray. You know, you can stand in the city sometimes on Boxing Day. There's... like a million people out. There's people everywhere. It's like, God, how are you going to do this? One at a time. Pray. 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 Be prepared to get uncomfortable. For the time is now for us to see our city one for Jesus. You may have heard that said a lot of times. The difference is I believe that with every fiber of my being. It's time to pray, church. It's time to see people come to know Him. It's time to see Christian influence rise in this country. For the Bible says, when the enemy comes like in like a flood, the Lord will rise up a standard against it. So let's pray. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Would we pray? And do you know what? Let's go out singing. Um, I forget the last song we sang that everyone just was frothing. We're going to go out and sing that because we're going to start our weeks putting God where He is supposed to be in everything where He is supposed to be. And then we're going to go out and get iced chocolates and iced coffee. Amen? Come on, would you lift your hands with me as we pray? God. We come before you today and we simply say, hallowed is your name. We praise you and we give you all the glory and all the honour. Lord, we seat you at the highest place of our life. Lord, we thank you for your grace without which we would be nothing. We thank you thank you that you sent your son to die for us, Jesus, without which we would be nothing. We would be dead in the water, Lord. So we acknowledge and we know who you are in our lives. So we, we acknowledge uh your goodness and your grace towards us and your favour and your faithfulness towards us. Jesus, if there is any grievous way in us, Lord God, would you lead us back to everlasting life? Lord, we repent. Lord, help us to change our thinking. Help us to renew our minds to think the way that you have thought. God, if someone has offended us, Lord, let us lay it down at your feet. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this community. We thank you for our life. We thank you for our goodness. And Jesus, we ask. Would you use us?
Would you move in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families? Would you move in our friendship groups? Would you move at our school? Would you move in our workplaces? Would we turn towards you, Jesus, once again? And would you help us, Lord, to do all that you have called us to do, not in our strength, but in your strength, Jesus? We need you. We love you. We give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, church. Why don't we sing this one last time? Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.